I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Thank you. Thank you, Tana, for for reading. Thank you, Nicole, for sharing about the kids. I think she's already gone. (laughs) <laughs> with their child. Um, but it is, that is a helpful reminder of just the members within the church. If you're, if you're visiting with us this morning, um, welcome again. This may be your third welcome. But we've been going through the book of Titus all fall. And as we've been wrapping up the year, as George said, next week we'll be presenting a mission and vision of, a church, of, the, of the church for this, looking at this last year and looking ahead to the coming year. And at the end of the year here, we really, and as we've combined sites into one location, we've really taken this opportunity to really talk a lot about what it is to be a church, what it means to be called to the church, what the church is look like, and, and what it looks like to be a member of a church. And with an emphasis then upon on membership, and that membership covenant document has been in circulation, it's up front, if you want to get a copy after the service, if you haven't had a chance to read through it, it's posted on the city as well. And so we'd like to really take that kind of, this seriously. I think the the concept of church membership, the idea of the church, shouldn't be something that's just lightly passed over. The church is significant. If the church is significant, if it really is God's plan for this world, we should take it as seriously. And we should take time reflecting on what it means to be called into the family of God, what it means to be the church, what it means to be a member of a church. These are things that we don't want to just treat flippantly, but we want to treat as serious things because the church is treated seriously by Christ. And as we've been looking at this, what it means to be in the church, what it means to be part of a church, we also want to recognize some of the difficulties that come with that because church membership is not always an easy uh, thing. I was speaking with my mother this week who my mother and father planted a church up in St. Cloud when I was a child. Um, And and she was talking about their experiences coming out of church when they went to that. They were very against membership. They didn't do membership in the church. It was a time in which church membership was looked on as really a negative thing. And she was sharing those experiences and her experiences of 
pastors being in a church for one to two years and then leaving and going to another church and elders moving in and out and the leaders constantly changing, but the members there for, for life and the, and the feelings of, of hurt and pain and church membership, being part of a church is a difficult thing. It's not easy and many of us have experienced hurt in churches. Many of us have experienced joy and love coming from a church. So we, we want to recognize that church membership shouldn't necessarily be something that's easy for us all to process and think about what it means. And as we, as we look at this again, I think, you know, just to re- remind us, though, I mean, we've, we've been emphasizing, and George did a great job preaching through Titus, and that picture of the church as the family of God. And all of us have been called into this family. Right? We're in the church for a reason. We are where we are because Christ has been at work in us since this world began, and he has led us through his spirit to a real local body, to real actual people that I am really in community with, who I love and who love me and who speak the truth. I mean, this is what he's called us to. He's called us into a family. And as Titus pointed out to us and and organized for us, Paul rightly puts, this church, this family has an order to it. This family has a purpose. This family is meant to walk in good works, to be zealous for good works, to be generous, to be kind, to be loving, to be active in these things that God has called us to do. And to do that, the church needs to be ordered. To do this work, the church needs to be mindful. All of those things. We, we get this. And looking like last week, we talked about how commitment and submission can be such a hard concept. But, how, but we know that those are the very things that are necessary for there to be genuine love. I know I need to be committed if I'm going to be known by others, if I'm going to be loved by others. I know that if I want that, I know there needs to be commitment. And we see how commitment and submission make love possible in the church. A family, right, without commitment just certainly isn't a family. We get those things. But it's hard for us. And the idea of church, I think, can be especially hard when we don't feel like we fit in. The idea of church is a beautiful one, but it seems at times for some people, or for the people who can conform to a certain idea of what a church is, or who can conform to the expectations around them, or who look a certain way, or act a certain way, church becomes a lot harder. Commitment, membership becomes a lot harder when you don't feel like you're like the people you look around. Or like, what, what does it mean for those who don't fit the mold? What happens right, when you show up in a church, and maybe this was you this morning if you're visiting, or, or maybe it's you if you've been here for a while, you show up to somebody's house church, you show up on Sunday morning to church, you look around the room and say, oh man, I am not like these people. I don't think... I, I, I'm, not, I'm not as academic right, as George and Lawrence. I'm not as good of reading. It seems like there's a lot of reading in this church. I don't have the same economic social backgrounds. I'm not the same age. I'm not the same race. I don't come from the same neighborhoods. I don't have the same the- theology even. I, I, I don't know if... I don't feel very comfortable with these people. And that becomes a legitimate hardship for committing to be part of a church, to be part of a local body when you really don't feel like you can fit in, when you don't feel like you are the same as everybody else. 
I don't have the gifts. I don't have the resources. I'm not married. I don't have kids. I never will have kids. I won't be able to fit these molds. I'll never be a house church leader. I'll never preach on Sunday morning. You know, is this really the place where I could fit? Is there a role for me in a church like this? It's easy to have those doubts and those fears, and they're legitimate ones, where you can look at the leaders, you can look at those who are put in positions and say, well, I can't be that. Maybe this isn't going to be the church for me. Maybe this isn't my family. It can be their family. This is a good church for those types of people, but not for me. So what do we do with that? And I think it's interesting because you really do see that, I mean, within, within culture and the world today, within the church too, this has always been a struggle. C.S. Lewis writes about this in The Weight of Glory. George never caught me trying to figure out what book that was actually from. Pretty confident it's The Weight of Glory. But that he gives this idea of that everybody has this, this issue, this desire to be in the inner ring of things. We talked about last week how, I mean, everybody has a desire to be loved Everybody has a desire to be known, and we have that, that we want desperately to be known by people, and we want to be genuinely loved by people. So the way in which we think about how to do that is we want to be on the inside of a group. And, and so we, we create, C.S. Lewis argues that as society, as humans, then we're always making these circles. We're always making rings around us of where's the inside, and I want to be on the inside. I want to be on the right side with whoever I'm with or wherever I am. I don't want to be on the outside. <laughs> I want to be on the inside. So if it's politically, okay, let me get a temperature of the room of this group. I want to be on the inside here. Uh, theologically, all right, I want to be in. I want to, I want to be on the inside. I, I mean, it's really, you know, junior high, if you can remember junior high, <laughs> which doesn't end, right? Those junior high insecurities of the lunchroom just carry over through all of life to being an adult as well in the workplace, neighborhood, everything. But you show up somewhere and you want to fit in. I want to be accepted. I want to be on the inside of wherever that line is. But then he rightly points how, how arbitrary that circle becomes and those lines and how hard it is to find it and realize, well, am I still in? And how do I make sure that I'm still in? And, and what happens when that line moves or now I've got to change myself or I've got to fit in? And it's exhausting to try to always be on the inside. And we see that, that desire to be accepted, that desire to be with people who accept you and who are like you. We see that play out, right, in our life. We see that play out in our culture. We see it play out in the city. And we see it play out in the church where you have neighborhoods that look the same. You have businesses that look the same. You have organizations, schools, right, that become very much the same, universities, every, everywhere, just a, a level of sameness. And even within the church, we see this historically as well, that the church, as it moves away from the gospels, becomes more and more institutionalized, becomes more and more same, and ethnically the same, theologically the same, politically the same, where you just have the sameness and a a real lack of depth. And really, when you look at the world today and our culture and the temptations and the dangers, there's a danger that we can become pockets and groups that are the same, but are not very deep, but are incredibly superficial and have superficial levels of love and knowing one another. And the world calls for unity and diversity. We love those ideas, 
but seem to be very difficult to actually be able to find them. How can I genuinely experience this? Where will I be accepted? (laughs) What if I don't fit? And so we flee from places where we don't feel like we fit to find places where we do fit. Right? This is the experience that many of us have had and do have. It may have been what led you to Twin Cities Church. You looked around and said, these, these are like, everyone here is like me. I want to be here. <laughs> this is exciting. Um, and, and churches have a tendency to do that, where you just become very much like each other. Uh, small groups within churches. You have the young married groups. You have the older people group. You have the kids groups. You've got the youth group. You've got the various... Because there's a desire, it feels natural, it feels comfortable. I want to be with people who get me. I want to be with people who know me, who have that same experience that I have. But the fruit of it right, is not what we were hoping for. Right? The fruit are these groups that are very polarized, that are very much the same, lots of judgment, lots of hurt, and the difficulty to jump those bridges, to get across those rings. How do I ever get into someone else's circle? But as we read scripture, right, it, it's not the way we were supposed to be. As we read scripture, as we read these passages like Tana read out of Romans, as we go through books like Titus, it's not what was meant. It's not the plan As we come into grips, as we come to grips with and encounter Jesus over and over again, we find these passages of how Christ has reconciled all people into one family, that the ring is gone, the barriers are gone, the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, that there's no longer these things. That's what keeps being talked about. Or if you've read the book of Ephesians or throughout, Paul talks about this, this is mystery of the gospel. This is the mystery of Jesus, not that Jesus died and rose again, but that he brought together Jew and Gentile. They brought together all people, that all people now are one, can have unity, peace, can live together. That's the mystery. How can this be possible? Because it's unlike anything that the world has ever seen or experienced is what the gospel promises, a people who are unified, a new family a new family of God, a new city in a city, a place where diversity and love and humility, unity is the overarching themes, not sameness. Right? Titus assumes this throughout this ordering. Right? We have older and younger. You have Cretans and non-Cretans. You've got Jews. You have Gentiles. Romans, right? Romans 12, 1 through 13, what an amazing passage. The book of Romans written to an incredibly racially, economically, ethnically, politically diverse group of people, right? This, this community that the book of Romans is written to that all the early churches really represented. And to see these words to a group that's made up of slave and free, of owners and their slaves, of men and of women, of children, of those who are not valued in society. To hear these words, you are one body, one family in Christ, individually members one of another. There are few statements, right, that are as powerful as that socially in the Bible when Paul starts to describe the church and the body of Christ, that we are all 
members one of another, that we are united, but not just united, but we have ownership over one another, that there is this mutual dependency on one another, that we're all equally valuable, that, that goes against all cultural norms, and it goes against even what we tend to think, the rich and the poor are equally valuable, an adult and a child equally valuable in the church. The rich, the the owner and the slave, equally valuable. The male and the female, equally valuable within the body of Christ. I mean, these these ideas that Paul presents, that Christ secures, it's it's unbelievable. So if we look at this again, like look at verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The church is called right, to be this representation of the kingdom of God. Right? You look at the church And we are meant to see the diversity of the kingdom. We look at the church, we're meant to see a diversity of people, a diversity of gifts as we interact together, right? We act out the wisdom of God. When people look at the church, when the heavenly rulers and authorities look at the church, they see this wisdom of God reflected in us, reflected in how we love and in how we value each other. And how we live together in community. It's what, it's what we're called to do. The church mirroring the kingdom. Showing this alternate way of living within the world, within the culture. An alternate city within the city. Where those lines are abolished. Where there are no longer an inner circle and an outer circle. Where there is just one people. Everyone is as valuable It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what your gifts are. It doesn't matter who you are. You're valuable. You're equal members. You have a role. You have a purpose. There's very few things, right, that are as life-giving and as powerful as hearing that and hard to believe. For most of us, it's hard to believe these things. But this is what the church was meant to do, and I think you see this. You see this in Scripture. You see this in culture, that one of the great marks right, of the spirit at work in a community of faith is the questions it raises in people's thoughts and minds. The Romans had all kinds of questions and issues with the early church, right? And these questions of why are these people together, right? That's the question that the Romans asked. How can Jews and Gentiles be meeting like this? Slaves and masters together as equals in a service? Doing mutual, act, a woman and a man equally to sitting together, singing? 
What's going on here? How can these people be so committed to one another? Why are they together? What is holding these people? Why are they so committed? Why are they spending their time with these people? Historically, that's always been the church. The church at its best always raises those kind of questions. Why is this church, why, why are they valuing these people? Why do they spend their time in this way? Don't they know those people bring nothing to them, give them nothing? Don't they see how they're a drain on society and taking them away from their mission? And Why would they dedicate their lives to this people? Why are they friends? Why are they generous with their time and their resources? What is possibly able to keep these type of people together? Now, common work can do it. And so you see that often, where diverse groups can be together for a common purpose or common work. But when the work ends, the, it all breaks apart. And okay, now it's done. But the church seems to be different. It's not just diversity working together, but there's mutual love of each other and work together. And that it just doesn't make sense to people. Why? Why what do they share in common? I don't know if you've had that experience. I've had that experience before in, in our church context. I remember bringing someone who was just a, a friend to a church gathering with a bunch of guys, and we're all together and just hearing the stories from different people, right? And you know, there's, I think, two-thirds of the group had a felony. You know, um, interest levels were totally different than mine. And right, we're driving home. You know, the, the guy was just like, how did you meet? <laughs> and like, oh, the church. They're in my church. And you, you get to get, how often do you meet with that? You get together, you like to just hang out. There's something unique about the church. There should be. There's a uniqueness to the diversity within the church. What can hold people together when they have no shared life experiences? When they come from different, experience, different places, they come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. My background, my upbringing is very different than yours. Many of you know that, and I know yours, and we're light years different when it comes to where I came from, my upbringing, my schooling, and yours. What could bring us together? What could bring a church together? What is it that could actually hold people together in love and in unity? And Paul obviously gives us the answer, and he gives it to us everywhere. It's Christ. This is the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what strengthens us as a church. What is it that unites people together in such a way that helps them to look past their age, their gender, their economics, their race? What is it? What could bring people together and give people inherent value and empower people to be willing to mutually sacrifice and be generous and to love each other. And Paul says it's the gospel. Right? Notice Paul's instruction to the church. And it's the instruction to us. Think soberly. Think about yourself. That's his instruction. How do we promote unity in the body of Christ when we're so diverse, when we feel like these obstacles are too great, we can't get over them. These people will never really get to know me. These people will never truly accept me because they just don't know me enough. I, they're not like me enough. What could ever get us over that to enter into true mutual love and submission and care for one another and generosity? Paul says, just think. Think soberly. Think about yourself properly. What he's arguing for, right? Think of yourself. Look at yourself through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about who you really are. What a necessary exercise that is for all of us 
in any position, whether you are well-educated or not, whether you have certain gifts or others, whether you write it, think who you are, remember who you are, think of yourself soberly. And he says, right, through the lens of the gospel, through Jesus Christ, we're not to think of ourselves too highly or too lowly. Because we just go through those two extremes, right, all the time. I'm either filled up with myself, puffed up with how great I am, and I really, I'm on a high, things are going great, I'm doing so good, and then I'm the worst, I, I just, nobody could love me. You know, we just go high and low. And what the gospel does, right, he says, look, look at yourself through the gospel, and you won't think of yourself too highly, you won't be puffed up with yourself nor will you think too lowly of yourself and think that you can't fit in. You have no gifts. You're not valuable. You're not worth people's time and effort. You'll think of yourself properly. You'll see who you really are. And obviously, we'd have to read all of Romans to kind of get that. But he says, if you look through the lens of Christ, you see who you really are. And through the gospel, we know who we are, a child of God, loved by the Father before the world began, chosen before this world, adopted into his family, a daughter and son of God, a co-heir with Christ, member of his family. What greater identity could anyone have but to be a child of God, to have everything reconciled, to have my past be cleared, all things about me reconciled through Jesus Christ. Nothing can ever be used against me that I have done or that I will do, right? Because that's what prevents us so much from trusting others is this, they won't get me, they don't know me. They, and if they hear something about me, or if they find out these things, they're just, whew, they're not gonna be able to reconcile this <laughs> and I'm gonna get mistreated, or I'm gonna get misunderstood. No, 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 remember who you are. You are fully understood. You are fully reconciled, fully redeemed. You are intimately known and loved and no one could ever stand against you. No one can ever condemn you or make you feel like you are not valuable or worthy because Christ died to secure your standing in the family of God. So seeing ourselves properly, we're reminded of who we are, and then it also helps to remind us of who we actually belong to. <laughs> we are not our own. And that's what Paul is going to great lengths to demonstrate to the church. You are not your own. You don't just belong to you. Your life is not your life. Oh, what a hard realization. <laughs> I, want, I want my life to be my life. I am in control of myself and what I do. Christ says, no, you don't. Your life is purchased. I own you. Your life belongs to God. You are now part of the family. You know, have obligations upon you. You have expectations on you. You can't just live this life of freedom that you thought you were living is not, was not real. We have this myth or this idea that I am free to live the life that I want to live. I can do whatever I want. It doesn't, as long as I don't affect anybody else, as long as I'm not hurting anyone, right, kind of idea. And, and church, whoa, does that just wring its head in church all the time? This idea of, look, I can just come and go. I can just be part. Like, I'm not, yeah, it's great. Good for you guys. You guys get on mission. You guys unify. You guys, yeah, you do your thing. I'm gonna, I'll be with you. I love you. I like to be with you. But I'm free to keep some distance. You're not. I mean, you can do those things, but it has consequences. You're hurting others. Like, 
the body of Christ, you don't, you're not your own. Your life is not your own. You are owned by God. You are owned by the church. You have obligations to one to another. You are members one of another. That's a huge idea. Right? My life is connected to your life. My well-being is connected to your well-being. My salvation is tied to your salvation. We are working together. Like I need the body. I can't live alone. How could I? <laughs> right? That's the more the assumption. Like we, we don't see those words necessarily through Scripture because the assumption is, how could you do Christianity on your own? How could you have an individual walk without the body? Right? How could one part of the body live outside of it? No, you're dependent upon this. We need one another. And so when we see ourselves soberly, when we think about this soberly through the gospel of who I am and who I really belong to, it produces fruit in us, right? And Paul details the fruit that we see from this, from this gospel perspective, this right thinking of ourselves, how it produces humility. Right? We talked about that last week as well, and you see that throughout all of Paul's writing. I mean, humility is the fruit of the gospel that it produces in us. I now, I have... Incredible, on the one hand, incredible confidence in my identity, in my calling. I, I have not. I know who I am. I'm not shaken. I'm not tossed to and fro. I know who God is. I know who I am. I know what I've been called to do. I speak the truth. I pursue truth. I'm bold and confident. And I'm incredibly honest with myself as well. And I see my sin. I see it as a log in my eye. And I see a speck in my brothers. Right? This is how Paul can be so confident in his calling as an apostle. He can call himself an apostle and the chief sinner in the same breath because of the gospel. My confidence isn't in me. I know that. I know not to put my confidence in me because I see my sin. It's in front of me all the time. But I also see my Savior in front of me all the time. And I have such hope and such confidence of where I'm going in life and what he's going to do for me and how this is all going to work out. I know I will mess up. I know I will let people down. I know I will sin. But I know how good God is, and I know who I am in him. It produces this gospel humility where you take the, fo the focus of your life off of yourself. And then it creates this real generous, sacrificial living and love that Romans talks about here as well where you really value others, you use your gifts, and you contribute to the needs. You live generously for others. I think, Jeff, I don't know if I see him here, last week kind of made that comment at the end, too, about how, you know, when you experience Jesus, you experience the gospel, you now enter into community with others, and all of a sudden you want to love other people. You come into community to give rather than to receive, because you've been given to. You looked for your gifts, you're eager to use your gifts. You don't, you're freed from the need to compare yourself all the time to others and, well, I don't have that gift. I don't really have a role here. I'm not as like them. But rather, you can now look at you honestly with your, who you are, how you've been gifted, how you've been wired, and you serve people out of your gifting, out of your uniqueness. Joining to community life, entering into the body of Christ is not a losing of yourself. There's a lot of religions that have that idea that like you enter in and just lose yourself. Buddhism has that like it's a drop of water into a pool. You just, whew, I'm just now part of the collective. No, far from it. Right? Christianity is the opposite. Christ is arguing you will find yourself 
when you enter into Christ and the body of Christ. You find your role. You find your individuality. You find your calling with others in the body because you're able to see who you truly are. And we see the diversity of Christ and the diversity of the gifts and the implications feeding from it. So the question really for us, right, as you evaluate your life or you look at yourself where it, where it comes to church broadly, church locally, do you feel out of place? I think for many of us, right, if we're honest with ourselves, we've always felt a little out of place wherever we go. Maybe there was one or two places in your life where you felt home or you felt like these, these are my people, they know me, but you lost it. Right? And you've always felt like you've been looking for people who would finally get you. When will, when will people finally understand me? When will I find people who are like me? Do you look around and just feel like, I just don't have anything to contribute? Right? I want to contribute. I want to do stuff. Right? I want to be active, but I don't see how. Right? I mean, I, don't, I, I, just, I, I tried these classes. It doesn't work <laughs> for me. I'm, I'm, I want to do things, but I just don't see what I could do. I don't feel like there's anything for me to do here. Or do you feel like you belong, but feel like you're not bearing good fruit? Right? Do you feel like this is your body, these are your people, you look around, this is your tribe, you're like, yeah, I love these people, and you do know, but you're a little alarmed by the sameness. <laughs> you look around and say, oh man, boy, yeah, we all kind of have a very similar vibe to us, and I don't know if that's good. <laughs> How, I, I want to branch out, I want to do more, I want to get past my little circle, I want to connect broader in the church, in the community, I want to be used by God. I want to lead in acts of mercy and justice, like Romans was saying here. I want to lead with zeal. I want to show acts of mercy. I want to bring the church. I want to help, but I don't know how. Well, Paul's encouragement to us, right, is really, wherever you are on that spectrum, is to remember and to know who you truly are to meditate and to let the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ sink into our hearts. Know who you are. Think of yourself properly. Stop thinking about what you're going to do in the church. Stop thinking about who's, gonna, who's like you or who's not like you, but think about who you truly are and who Jesus is and what he has done for you. When you see the cost, right? that's what moves us. When we see the cost of bringing us into the family, when we see the costliness of what it took to make me accepted, we're broken. I can no longer be proud and arrogant. I can no longer be selfish. When I see how Christ endured the exclusion and the rejection that was meant for me. You want to talk about dying on the outside of the circle. I mean, that was Jesus he endured all of the exclusion, all of the rejection, a rejection from God himself and the Father turning his face away, abandoned by God, abandoned by friends, abandoned by everyone, scorned, mocked, ridiculed, so that I would never be, so that I will always be accepted by the Father. 
that I would be brought into the family through the death of Jesus Christ. When we think soberly of ourselves, our heart is changed and we can no longer be proud and arrogant. We can no longer compare ourselves with others and judge others, wish to be who we're not. You start to look at yourself properly. You are exactly who you are and you are fully loved by God exactly where you are with exactly your story. And you have been brought to this moment on purpose and you have been fully equipped and gifted by God for this day, for this moment, for this church. Use your gifts. <laughs> Enter into who you truly are. Trust Jesus and start walking in faithfulness and not in fear and hurt and shame. But that only happens when our hearts are broken and moved by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we have to start there and remember who we are. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We, thanks is just isn't, isn't a strong enough word. I don't know what the strong enough word is, Lord, but we are just so humbled by your love and your mercy. Who are we? Who am I that you would have chosen me to be part of your family? Lord, you chose us from before the world began. You know us intimately. You know the garbage that's in our lives. The sin, the selfishness, the hurt, the pain, the damage that we have done to others and to ourselves. The cycle of sin in our lives, Lord. And you still have chosen us and still choose us. And not only that, Lord, but you, you want us and you want to use us and you continue to bless us and provide for us in ways that we don't deserve. And you have things in store for us and for our church, things that we can't even imagine what it's going to look like as you continue to work through us, a very broken and diverse people. Lord, we pray that you strengthen us. We need your help. We think of ourselves far too highly and far too lowly. Lord, strengthen us to think of ourselves properly. Lord, help us to find comfort in you. Help us to see who we are, truly are. Help us to see ourselves and not our sin, but to see the work that you have done on our behalf. And Lord, help us to see each other in that way as well. Not to hold sin against one another, but to be tender-hearted to be generous and to be loving. Lord, strengthen us with your spirit. Help us to be the church, to be the body of Christ and demonstrate love and mercy and justice all around us. Lord, we want your name to be lifted high. In your name we pray, amen.